This is the day that the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, my name is Dr. Lou Diaz, pastor of Butte Bible Fellowship located at 2255 Pillsbury Road in Chico. And I'm providing inspirational teaching for you from God's Word each week. Listen to my weekly radio program, Encouraging Words with Dr. Lou Diaz, at 10 a.m. on Saturday or 10 a.m. on Sunday. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Today we begin a new series, and this new series is in 1st and 2nd Timothy. So we will go through 1st Timothy, and we will continue through 2nd Timothy. And did you know that both these books have one key concept in common? And that key concept is that Paul, writing to young pastor Timothy, stresses that we are in the last days. The last days. What are the last days? The last days are the last days coming up to the end of the world as we know it. The last days are the last days coming up to the day of the Lord. And so we're going to study more about this. It's going to be very exciting And I'm very thankful for you because you want to know the Word of God. You want to understand the times. You want to be ready and prepared for the Lord's return. And that makes me, as your pastor, very happy, very excited, and very blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that you have given us not only instructions for living, but you've given us directions as to how to live and how to prepare and how to be ready for the things to come. So, Lord, we pray that you would continue to teach us and speak to us and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. First of all, we have three trends during the last days. We're going to study three trends that are going to be very obvious in the last days. But before we do that, let me give a backstory to 1 Timothy. Paul went on a missionary journey, and on his first missionary journey, he had to leave Titus behind in the island of Crete because the Cretans, as they were known, were a very unruly, rebellious, super-independent bunch. And in Titus chapter 1, I believe verse 5, He says, bring order to that group. And the word for order is the word from which we get the word orthodontics. In other words, they're a bunch of crooked teeth. (laughs) Straighten them out. Brace them so that they uh, look decent. So that was the assignment that Titus had staying in Crete. So when they came to Ephesus, which was the capital of uh, Asia Minor, and uh, it's in modern-day Turkey, and Shirley and I have been there. I want to say that even though I've been to Israel, and you're supposedly walking where Jesus walked, you know that you really are 30 feet above where Jesus walked. There's a lot of building and sediment and all this other stuff. But when you are in Ephesus, and you're walking down the main street, you really are walking where Paul walked. And that is so cool to go all the way down that street into the uh, big library that's at the end and then 
hook a right hand turn and go to this like uh, uh, amphitheater, open amphitheater. And, and uh, I was standing on stage and Shirley was all the way in the back. And I said, uh, Romans and countrymen, lend me your ears. And we just had a great time in Ephesus. And so when I speak about this, I get very excited because I've been there. And you know, at first Paul had a brief time in Ephesus, and then he went back and he ministered for a couple of years, and he developed such a bond with this church that would become a major church in, um, in New Testament um, consideration. And I want you to turn to Acts 20 for one moment, because when Paul was going to leave the church at Ephesus, he gave a farewell speech, a farewell to the elders, the leaders at the church in Ephesus. And uh, when he's telling this, he says, uh, and we're beginning here in chapter 20, and we're looking at verse 29, or 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And it says that when he left, uh, verse 37, they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Paul, in saying farewell to the leaders at the church of Ephesus, was telling them to be on their guard and to watch out because false teachers would try to infiltrate their ranks and worse than that, false teachers from their very number would rise up and try to get disciples after themselves. So the book of 1 Timothy is Paul writing to Pastor Timothy, who's a young pastor at the church of Ephesus, dealing with false teachers who were once elders at the church of Ephesus. So the very group that he was warning about, giving this warning to, from that very group, some of them had become false teachers. His words were being fulfilled. And so Timothy was the product of a mixed marriage. His father was a Greek, his mother was Jewish, his grandmother was Jewish, and uh, they raised him in the scriptures. And Timothy, this is a story I love, from Lystra. When Paul went into Lystra, they stoned him and they dragged his body out of town, assuming he was dead. And the disciples gathered around him and prayed for him and he got up. He somehow resurrected or resuscitated or something and he went back into Lystra to keep on preaching. That's a man of God. Wow, I'm so thrilled. And I always like to think that Timothy, who was a teenager, was so impressed by this man of God who was committed to preaching the gospel. And, they, and Timothy became a Christian 
through Paul's witness, and he became a son in the faith. This is so important to understand and to appreciate because 1 Timothy 1, 1 and 2 says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of our God, a God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Timothy would become a right-hand man to Paul. He accompanied him on all three missionary journeys. And uh, Timothy, even though he was timid, that is given to fear and concern about what other people thought of his youthfulness, um, God used Timothy. And this is a pastoral letter written from Paul to Timothy to help him pastor that church. And the context is the last days. In 1 Timothy 4.1, the Bible says, the Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Now, this is important that he's making a reference to the last days in chapter 4, verse 1 of 1 Timothy, and he makes reference to the last days in chapter 3, verse 1. But mark this, Paul writes to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. Now, notice the word lovers. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasures, pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, having nothing to do, have nothing to do with such people. So what is the concept of the last days? Before Jesus came, the Jewish people were praying for and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah coming is the start of the last days. So when did the last days start? When Jesus came. His death, burial, and resurrection and ascension are the start of the last days. So when you're asked the question, are we in the last days? The answer is yes, we are. We are in the last days, that is God's time of working before the end. So let's not be surprised when people say we're in the last days because we are. And the last days have been since the time of Jesus the Messiah coming to earth. Now the question I think a lot of people are really asking uh, is, uh, when is the end of the world? Or um, are we in the last of the last days? And every generation has seen the same pattern of things going from bad to worse, and they keep saying, we're in the last of the last days. The end of the world is coming. Look at what's happening in the news. Look what's happening in politics. Look what's happening over here and there in Israel. We're in the last days. Everyone wants to get excited about it, and some people make the mistake of setting dates for when Christ shall return. And even Jesus said, you know, uh, only my father knows the date. And so we should not set any dates or listen to anybody who sets a date for when Christ comes back. Only the father knows. 
But I want you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1, and see this great story about the disciples and Jesus regarding the last days. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus had resurrected already. He had spent 40 40 days on earth. He had been seen by the disciples and by over 500 people at the same time who were still alive to testify to that. And he tells his disciples to not leave Jerusalem, verse um, 4, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes. He ascended up into heaven, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, gawking, mouths, jaws wide open, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And so the last days are a preparation and we are looking forward to the return of Christ. So there are three trends during the last days. One is division, replacing the truth. The next trend is desertion, departing from the truth. And the last trend is distortion, misusing the truth. Let's see this from our text of 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 11. First of all, division, replacing the truth. In verses 3 and 4 of 1 Timothy 1, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia... Paul writes to Timothy, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So we see that Paul is urging Timothy to stay put, stay strong, and to silence the false teachers. When he says, command them to stop teaching this falsehood, he's using a Greek word meaning give them the royal command. In other words, I tell you in the name of King Jesus, shut up. Cease and desist from this false teaching. I love the word command when it means royal command because when Peter saw Jesus walking on water, he said, if that's you, bid me to come. And Jesus gave him the royal command, come, come now. And Peter Hearing that royal command, got out of the boat, put his foot on the water looking at Jesus, and walked right towards Jesus based on that royal command. So the command is one of authority. It's one that should be obeyed and paid attention to and followed. 
what we're finding here is division. That because of this false teaching, there's controversy. And with controversy comes polarization. Polarization is people taking sides. And what makes it worse is that some of these former elders, or maybe they still have the title of elder in the church of Ephesus, and they're meeting in home groups, in small groups. The sad part is some of the younger widows were supporting these elders, saying, I think these elders are right. I think he's into, onto something new and better and different, and we should follow him. And that's the sad part, is that people who are looking for a cause and they want to be uh, significant and they want to be uh, considered influencers, they take on things and follow things that are new, that they don't even understand, and they get disciples behind them and they splinter the church. They cause division. They're replacing the truth with falsehood and it results in a followership that is misled. This has always happened since the time of Christ, and it'll continue to happen until the return of Christ. So just when you think things are bad in our society, in terms of controversy, in terms of polarization, in terms of demonizing our enemies, you ain't seen nothing yet. We're in the last days. There shall be division, there shall be controversy, and there shall be a lot of speculations, a lot of conspiracies. This is not new. The Bible tells us it's going to be that way in the last days. But we also see that it's a time where the church should get back to what really matters. In verse 5, the goal of this command, this royal command, is, is love. So the opposite of controversy, the opposite of division is love and unity and caring and honoring the truth. Truth and love must be together. And the way to have love, and I'm really probably taking some steam from Gaylord, who's probably going to talk about love next Sunday while I'm out of town. Uh, he always talks about love. The goal of this command is love. Love, interestingly enough, comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. The thing about love is you can't fake it. People know when you're faking it. The thing about love is it's holy love. In order for it to be sincere and honest and authentic, it's got to be pure from the heart. And it's got to be from a good conscience, not that uh, things are being hidden or uh, things are, the walk doesn't match the talk. Um, it's got to be from a good conscience, and it's got to be from a sincere faith. Now, I want to notice back here in 1 Timothy 4, 1, in the last days, you're going to have people abandoning the faith, following deceitful, deceiving spirits, and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Native Americans used to talk about the conscience like a arrowhead. You know what an arrowhead looks like? It's got three corners to it. It's kind of a triangle. Well, they would envision that when you did something wrong, this arrowhead would spin inside of you and cut you inside. 
meaning your conscience would be pricked. And so you realize, mm, I shouldn't have done that. Ouch, that hurts. But if you keep on ignoring the pricking of the triangular arrowhead spinning in your conscience and cutting you, the edges of the arrowhead become smooth, round, and it spins, but it no longer cuts. That is what happened to the false teachers. They started as Ephesian elders. They were one time solid. Then they started falling hook, line, and sinker for false teachings. And then they started getting people after them. And people would ask them questions and they would shoot from the hip and make stuff up. They were hypocritical liars. And their consciences were seared as with a hot iron. The alarm clock no longer went off in their spirit. They were dead to having a good, clear conscience. So in contrast to that, um, love comes from a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the word sincere means without wax, that when a potter made a vase or a cup, if it was without cracks, they would put on the bottom sincera, which means without wax. We get the word sincere from that. So when someone was going to buy a vase, they would hold it up to the sunlight, and if there was a crack, they could see where the seam was. But if they look at the bottom, and it said sincera, without wax, they knew that this was a quality product that the potter stood by. And um, that's what Paul is saying, that by Having a pure heart, blessed are the pure, for they shall see God, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. By having a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, you love other people, you care about unity with other people, and you uphold the truth without compromise. Can you hold up the truth without compromise? Yes, you can. But what's happening today is that not only should you agree with me in my false view, but if you don't agree with me 100%, I cannot have anything to do with you. So the militant view is that of it's all or nothing. Talk about being intolerant. It's those who are false teachers who are intolerant. And they don't realize that we as Christians are only quoting what Jesus said. Jesus knows. He's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Who said that? Jesus. Are we bigoted and intolerant because we're quoting Jesus, who is God, who knows? Absolutely not. We're just simply telling you and others what Jesus said. Well, there's going to be desertion as another trend in the last days, a departing from the truth. 1 Timothy 1, 6-7. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. There's nothing worse than a know-it-all who doesn't know it all. There's nothing worse than a, a person who aspires to be a teacher just so they could be heard, but they don't have anything substantial to say. And many will depart from the faith. We're seeing that in our society today. There's a category called the nuns. That is when they fill out a uh, form and they 
have to put down religious affiliation, they check the box, none. And the nuns, that is those without religious affiliation, have increased in numbers. There are more people who have been de-churched. That is, they used to be in the church and they are no longer part of the church. Now the thing to do is to deconstruct your faith. Take your faith and pull it apart until you don't have a faith. And that's also happening. People are deconstructing their faith. They're deserting their first love. They're deserting the Lord. They're deserting the church. There's departing or desertion happening in the last days. And you saw that back in 1 Timothy um, chapter 4, where it says, in the last days, they will abandon the faith and they'll follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, demon-inspired false teachings. And the last thing is there'll be distortion in the last days. There'll be the misusing of the truth. We know, it says in 1 Timothy 1, 8-11, Paul is saying to Timothy, we know that the law is good if one uses it properly. He's saying that the Ten Commandments and the Bible is accurate. It spells out reality. It is good. It has a purpose if it's used properly. Verse 9, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels. So the law has the purpose of being a tutor that should teach you that you're a sinner. The fact that we have Ten Commandments shows us all that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if the Ten Commandments represented the holiness of God, there's not one of us who's obeyed all the Ten Commandments. And if you're guilty of disobeying one of the Ten Commandments, you're guilty of breaking all of the Ten Commandments. So none of us is righteous. None of us is completely obedient. None of us is without sin. We're all sinners. We're all rebels. And he lists how this sin is manifest. People break the law. People rebel. They're ungodly and sinful. They're unholy and irreligious. Uh, They murder their fathers and mothers um, uh, for murderers, uh, for the sexually immoral, for those practicing homosexual, for slave traders and liars and perjurers. The law convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit uses the law to convict us we need Jesus. It's so easy to misuse the truth by saying it justifies my position. But if we misuse it that way, we don't understand it. A text without a context is a pretext. So to take a scripture out of context as backing up your stance when you've taken it out of context is not right. It's proof texting your view, but it's not an accurate read. So another way to look at this is that in the last days you'll see distortion, that uh, people will live in a way that's not aligned with the truth. 1 Timothy um, 1, verse 10 in the end, the end of 10 and verse 11. And whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. So those who rebel against the law as convicting us, convicting us of sin, 
are living in a life that's contrary to or off kilter from, not aligned with, sound and healthy doctrine. They're not conforming to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God. They are distorting and they are perverting what God, God's will is, what God's teaching is. So we should not be surprised that these three trends are right now in our society. Division, replacing the truth. Desertion, departing from the truth. And distortion, misusing the truth, not being aligned with the truth. That's happening today. And the Bible says it's going to go from bad to worse. What should we do and how should we live in response to this? The Bible says that we should be bright stars shining in a dark and depraved generation. People should know that you are a Christian, a Christ follower, because you are characterized by love. You are characterized by truth. You are characterized by unity. You are characterized by staying with the stuff, hanging on to the truth, and rightly dividing the word of God a workman who need not be ashamed. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521. Call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-892-0521 to find out how you can connect with our weekly worship services and faith-building messages from God's Word.